Hello everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Crystal Clodcast. I'm your host, Laura. I'm Laura K. Buzz on Twitter, and I'm here with my wonderful, lovely co-hosts, Mia. Hello. You can find me at OmiaGod on Twitter. And Retta. And you can find me at SuperRetar on Twitter. Hooray! <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're going to talk about some Steven Universe. So... I think it's fair to say we all watch an awful lot of Steven Universe. We're all big old fans of that nerdy <laughs> yeah. show. Yeah, yeah and definitely. The, the general idea we have here is we've, we've all been watching the show as it's been going on. We've watched lots and lots of episodes of it. And, you know, we've not watched the beginning of that show in a, in a while. And there is a lot of stuff that has happened since that sheds new light on things. So we thought, sure, why not? Let's go right back to the beginning of the show. Watch five or so episodes every week. We'll tell everyone, hey, these are the episodes we're talking about. And just talk about the show with the lens of, you know, what what can we say about the show, having watched three or four series of it now at this yeah. point, or however. I lose track of how they break those series up, but having watched a lot more of the show. So um, today we are going to be talking about the pilot episode, which is a shorter than average episode that was never part of the series, but it exists. It's out there. Uh, we will also be talking about episode one, Gem Glow. Episode two, Laser Light Cannon. Episode three, Cheeseburger Backpack. Episode 4, which I apparently did not write down the name of, in spite of thinking I'd written down the name of, uh, Together Breakfast. That's why it's the first thing on my list. So (laughs) episode 4, Together Breakfast, and episode 5, Frybo. Can't you just hear my professionalism already? (laughs) So we are going to talk about spoilers for later in the show, so be aware that you're going to get spoilers for later episodes of the show. We are talking about this from that perspective. Uh, We will be talking about this from the perspective of having seen every episode of the show up to That Will Be All, which is episode 118, according to Wikipedia. But uh, That Will Be All is the most recent episode we've seen. (laughs) There will be spoilers for the whole way up to there. Uh, Who wants to start off talking about the pilot episode? Well, I had never actually seen the pilot before. Mm. So that was very interesting. I wasn't aware of how very different the animation is. Yeah, it's it's a lot more... I don't want to say over-animated, but it's a lot more fluidly animated. Yeah, there's a lot more uh, movement to everything. There's a lot of frames and everything. Yeah, ev- so- like, although the art style is more detailed, it's all more fluidly gone between... It's more clean-cut as well, is the way that I'd kind it of... It seems more kind of um, like anime-inspired. Yeah, definitely, mm. especially Garnet. Well, the thing that I noticed with the gems is that... They all look kind of 80s inspired. Oh, they, they definitely all look yeah. like they would have fit in at an 80s punk rock show. Um, Pearl, I think, is a great example of that where, um, you know, going like jumping really far ahead here. Um, that episode we have in one of the more recent series where Pearl goes to the rock show and she's wearing a sort of leather jacket and things. Yeah. yeah. It, her in the pilot is not a million miles away from that. Like I could imagine Pearl in the pilot being the same pearl that used to go to rock shows. Yeah, she looks you very can imagine like... that she'd own that jacket. Yeah, she looks very, like, punkish. She's yeah. got, like, the earring and kind of the hair. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think the character of the of the three gems that keeps the closest to her original design is Amethyst. Yeah. Um, she's a lot more sort of laid-back, um, almost hippie-ish clothing. Everything's a bit more yeah. sort of loose and baggy and falling off of her. But it's, it's a very similar design thematically. Mm. Yeah, I felt like she almost looked kind of um, like glam rock-ish. Yes. Like less yeah. like slacker-ish. She, she looked like she could be doing... Uh, I forget I forget the film or even the name of the song, but it's the... Uh, She's a maniac, maniac on the floor. <laughs> With like the, you know, whatever that 80s song is, and she could have like leg warmers on and be doing... Yeah, just dancing in an 80s dance film. 
like fittingly, it reminded me more of um, gem, as in gem and the holograms. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Like a kind of like soft, kind of pastely color, like the big hair. <laughs> I can definitely see that. Um, I think the biggest difference with Garnet is. She's less square in the pilot. Yes, very different hair. Yeah, she has straight hair on it, and it's again. It seems more like a kind of um, a music theme. It yeah. just seems more like a kind of a performer. Mm. The big difference for Stephen is the animation plays up his size more. Yeah. Um, Any time that he's animated talking, in particular, you see the sort of like wrinkles around his cheeks. Yeah. I think. You get this in the proper episode one as well, but they use food and his size as a way to cement his character. Um, The actual first episode, as we'll talk about in a bit, is about Cookie Cat, but here it's about um, going to the donut shop. It's always... Both attempts to start the show off were like, Stephen, he's a bit large, let's make the story a bit about that. And they, they definitely drop that off as the show goes on, but they definitely, like, they. I think they were lost on another way to characterise him at first, that it's just, yeah. he's the kind of chubby, doofy kid. Yeah. Well, I think because he doesn't have his powers that early on, it's kind of like, well, what can define him until he yeah. gets more interesting? I, I think we'll definitely talk about this a bit more in the proper episode one as well, but they they definitely very deliberately make him a very relatable ch- a character for children at first, where it is... He doesn't have any powers. He has nowhere to go but up. Yeah. They do start him from a very relatable place, but for lack of lack of knowing how to characterise him without the abilities that will eventually grow to be his characterization, they seem to default to doofy and food. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think it's, it's, he's kind of like the way for the kids to relate to the program. Like he's yeah. the kind of goofy, endearing kind of kid. Yeah. And then he's kind of... Then there's a larger than life gem characters. Yeah, yeah. I think he's very much also the character that that is meant to be there for the kids, being like, yeah, it does kind of suck that I don't get to go on cool magical adventures. <laughs> Stephen gets it. Yeah. Um. So in terms of talking about characters design differences in that pilot, the the thing that we all kind of talked about a little bit before starting this. Lars used to have much more obvious ethnic features that were definitely toned down for yeah. the show. Like, I wonder, is that a deliberate thing? Or is that kind of a miscommunication with the animation department? Like, I'm not sure how this was animated. Like, was it was internal or external? Uh, like, I, I don't know. So what I think is interesting is I started watching Steven Universe without having watched the pilot initially. And I didn't pick up on the fact that Lars was not coded as white. And Same. I didn't pick up on it until I watched the pilot and then went back to the show and was like, oh, it's a lot more subtle than in the pilot, but he is definitely coded as non-white. And or that I think it was interesting that they toned it down to a degree where it's still there, but that it was definitely not the defining aspect of his character design. Yeah. It's yeah, the skin tone they use is definitely like more towards the range of like Steven and everything. They use else. a lot more earth tones than they do for anyone else in that cast. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. Like I don't I would love to hear an interview at some point about what the design stuff that went on yeah, there is, because I definitely. think that would be fascinating. But I I think generally just the designs in this are very different. I don't think I don't think any of the the crystal gems themselves are very well characterized in this pilot. Yeah. Because when we get on to talk about actual episode one, episode one does a really good job of setting up, these are your three character archetypes for the three gems. But this episode is kind of, they're three magic warrior people 
Yeah. They kind of blur together, I think, in terms of personalities. Yeah. Like, Garnet has the line where she says to Stephen, like, you're a butt face. Yeah, which is very ungarnet. Yeah, completely out of character. But she also has a couple of bits where she's like, no, don't don't make fun of Stephen. And she does yeah. her, like, caring, protective mum. Yeah. But she also calls him a butt face for no reason. <laughs> like, I feel like they definitely were a little unclear with who they wanted these characters to be. Mm. They clearly had some idea of where the characters were going. Because yeah. we pointed out that Garnet does have two gems on her hands. Yeah. So clearly, like, they'd already made the decision that Garnet was going to be a fusion. Presumably um, that was a, like... That was from a, the beginning. That was planned to be like again. this yeah. is where our first arc is going to end yeah. with is with that reveal. Um, but yeah, that butt face line was a bit out of nowhere. They knew that. Uh, oh, the other thing that is interesting, we don't, we won't really talk about it too much in this first episode, but they reuse the plot of this pilot largely later in the show, more fleshed out, which yeah. is the the rewinding sphere. And they take the plot device and the, from the pilot, which is just, here's the little sphere with an hourglass in it that can turn back time. Mm-hmm. They take it in a very different direction in the actual show. Because in the show, they isn't it the Stephen and the Stevens episode? Yeah, I believe yeah. so, yeah. yeah. Where they, you know, they end up with making a band and comedy songs yeah. and the ending being about how Stephen learnt to be true to himself yeah. by watching himself die. <laughs> yeah. Which is a bit darker than this, where it was just, he used it to make puns because... He he got in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's not he really... wanted to do good comebacks. Yeah. <laughs> there's not really any consequence to him using it, I and guess. I, yeah. I think that's the case for a lot of the first few episodes we'll talk about, mm. is that they're very self-contained plots with no consequence. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it's interesting that even from the pilot, we still had something that is a conversation right up into, like, season three, I think, which is if the gems just talked to Stephen honestly about what was going on, Stephen would get into fewer issues. And that they are so unwilling to trust Stephen to do a good job that they end up ultimately causing issues for themselves. Um, Because, like, had they said to Stephen, hey, this thing that you keep asking to see and we won't show you, it's a magical artefact. We can't give it to you because if you use it, none of us will ever be able to use it. Then this whole thing would have been avoided. And Pearl gets really mad at him. Like, why did you use this? Now we can never use it for anything other than you making, like, doing your comebacks. If they were, if they trusted Stephen, and like, I get why they don't. He's a doofy kid that does not, at this stage, take responsibility for his actions. Yeah. But... It, it's kind of jumping ahead, but it makes me think of the Fryboy episode. It's mm. kind of like, it's Stephen's fault for not listening that things go wrong. But here early on, it's kind of the other way around, and that the yeah. gems don't even try to explain to him what's going yeah. on. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of these first few episodes, is there are a lot of really good examples. Um, yeah, a really good example is Cheeseburger Backpack, in that it's another, it, it, like that's another episode in this early batch that is very much about the gems' level of trust in Stephen's ability to, to help... I think it, it very early on, particularly while he doesn't have his powers, a, a lot of it is, you don't have powers, we don't trust you to not be a liability. Yeah. And he clearly can be helpful. He can try very hard to be very resourceful. Yeah. Like, his resourcefulness at not having powers can create some really good solutions to problems. Like in the pilot where he... It's like, okay, I need to rewind further. I've now seen how this fight goes. If I can think of a comeback, I can rewind and then save you from the things I know are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Which is his own kind of goofy superpower equivalent of just being like the big kind 
kind of goofy kid. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really all we can say about the the pilot. Like it's it's clearly like it's got the DNA of the same show, but it's it's interesting because it really looks like a different show. Yeah. Like the plot is kind of there, but on a visual level, it looks completely yeah, different. Yeah, like program. the plot's kind of there, but they hadn't fleshed the characters out. They had the music idea down because they yeah. had that that really nice um his his ukulele thing that ends up being part of the extended yeah. theme later on. I'm amazed it took that long for us to hit to see um, We Are the Crystal Gems and Pizza and whatnot. Yeah. Make it into the actual canon show. But uh, yeah, should we should we go on from there to the actual uh, first episode, sure. Gem Glow? Yeah. So here they definitely still play up his weight. Yep. Uh, they like the plot is about him getting his powers because of Cookie Cat. They're a friend for your tummy. Cookie Cat, they're super, super duper, duper yummy. yummy. <laughs> uh, the thing I really liked um, that I didn't pick up the first time is when Steven's gem glows, it does the kind of Sailor Moon skirt kind of flowing. Yeah, I noticed that with kind of his over shirt. His, <laughs> over his belly. Yeah. I, I think it's really nice that right from the beginning of that show, they don't shy away from Steven as the hero of the show. Having feminine attributes. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge other topic that I'm sure we'll get into like yes. in future episodes. Well, but... we, we kind of have like a little place to discuss it in the first few, which is just the comparison point of Steven gets a shield, but that later in that first five episodes we see Pearl has a room full of swords. It's yeah. female hero has swords, male hero has a shield, which is just completely out of the blue for any show. Like, no mm. show does that. Yeah, the male is the defensive role. Yeah, not he's the, the, he's the healer. Role. Well, as we get later, he's the healer as well. He's the yeah. defender. It's not what you traditionally expect, but... um. And his entire thing is pink. Yeah. Oh, which, yeah. as well. The yeah. gem is pink. And yeah. he wears pink. Like, even yeah. when he had his hoodie on, it was a pink hoodie. Yeah. Like, he mm. never... From the beginning, the, they're definitely clear about not sticking to any yeah. kind of gender stereotypes. Yeah, um, which is really cool. They they definitely have songs in from the beginning, but, mm. like, particularly with this first batch, they're all, like, sort of light-hearted, incidental, not particularly trying to pull at heartstrings yeah. in any sort of way. Um, I feel, yeah, like, the significance of the song seems to have changed a lot. Like, yeah. in these early episodes, the songs seem to be kind of goofy and fun and kind of just fun little inserts. They're, they're light-hearted interludes rather than ways to have emotionally impactful progression of plot. Yeah, I think yeah. progression of plot is a good way of putting it. Like, later on, the songs not only kind of reveal new information, but, like, move the plot forward in kind yeah. of a very kind well, of stylish we, way. We almost get... We kind of get one that furthers character development later, which, in this first five, which is uh, Let Me Drive Your Van Into Your... Uh, my my Van Into Your Heart, which That's we can true. get to, that does yeah. some character development. Uh, I do like... I do just want to stop and talk about... I love the theory that the Cookie Cat song, every time it comes up, and there are variations on it that come mm-hmm. up through the show are about the crystal gems. Definitely yeah. um, feels like So, it. like, this first one is, um, they came, uh, what was it? Uh, they came it's to this planet, planet from outer space, space. Uh, refugees of an interstellar war. Um, so, like, that's your first little bit. If you follow this theory, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in later episodes, it kind of suggests that maybe the crystal gems were, if not the villains of the war, were at least not as positive and wholehearted mm. in the way they went through the war as suggested which is now kind of being hinted at with yeah we're definitely with, getting with there. the shattering of pink yeah. diamond much later in the show mm-hmm. so like i i subscribe to the theory that cookie cat is about the crystal gems yeah. but there's also um he left his family behind oh yes he left yeah. his family behind um so yeah steven's characterization is entirely doofy silly and kind of useless and yeah. 
I think this kind of goes into what I was saying before, where Stephen is definitely portrayed as... Um, he, his his character growth from episode one to where we are in the show now is a growth from relatable to aspirational for children. Mm. Where he starts at a point where this could be you. Yeah. And very gradually moves to, you know, if you try really hard and want, and like, you know, have the right motivations and want to help people, then you can end up like this. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, um, again, kind of jumping ahead, but they kind of deal with that with one of the recent episodes with Amethyst, kind of looking to Stephen and being like, hang on, you were supposed to be the kind of young kind of crummy one who looked up to us and now you're kind of surpassing me. Yes. I think there is definitely a degree of the adults in this show underestimating the ability of the child to the point that later in the show when one of the children surpasses one of the adults, they're like, this isn't how it's supposed to go. You're the child. You're supposed to be more useless than me. Um, I think a really nice little touch for Stephen being very much portrayed as a child at the beginning of this show is the fact that when he sings the Cookie Cat song, he ends with the the ad read of where the story is. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's a silly thing, but it's it's a very childish thing to do. It's yeah. memorising unimportant information because it was part of the thing and parroting it off because it, yeah. was, it was said. Yeah, he's basically just reciting the advert rather than just the song of yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's a thing that you see children do, and mm. it's very much like... His characterization as a child really falls away as this show goes on. Mm. I forgot quite how much of a child he's portrayed as early on. And I think a lot of that makes sense considering he's homeschooled, we later learn. Like, he he doesn't really socialise with other children. No. It's not necessarily surprising that he has a lot of leftover childish childish socialisation. Yeah, I mean, we see this... um... Is it Cheeseburger Backpack, I think? Where the the delivery at the the beginning, where... um... The postman character, I can't remember his name. He's kind of reading off the names, being like, oh, you this person? And Stephen seems genuinely and sincerely expecting that this is a serious conversation. Whereas yeah, the adult is clearly having a bit yeah, of a laugh like, with him. playing yeah. with him. Like, it shows that he's a ridiculously innocent character. Yeah, and I think like a really important part of his, his growth later on <clears throat> is the fact that as the show goes on, he makes friends with other children his own yeah. age. Yeah. And that definitely helps with socialization and him picking up on those cues and being a little less definitely less mature than a child of his age you would expect them to be yeah yeah um so other things that i really liked about this pilot i really like that we get individual solo time with each of the gems that very quickly show you through the lessons they teach Stephen who they are as characters like those three lessons on these are the approaches to Use to summoning your gem weapon are great at characterizing this is who the gems are. Yeah, I've actually written notes on this from when we were watching it. I'll go ahead. It's that each of them uses a certain like type of thing to summon like their weapons, mm. and like Garnet is about peace and nature because she wants to like connect with everything. Harmonious and yeah. one with each other. And Pearl is patience. Because yeah. it's all, like, everything's calculated, so it's all logic and patience. Amethyst is just being really relaxed and laid back. And yeah. um, Stephen seems to be happiness, love and compassion is what mm. he uses. Which yeah. is probably the first solid hint we get at Rose, at, at what we should think of Rose. Yeah. Is that she definitely, as the show goes on, is characterised the same way that we see Stephen yeah. learning his gem. Yeah, it's just a really impressive scene because... By furthering the plot, they're showing us 
the way these characters think, which is yeah. completely in contrast to the pilot when they're so yeah. different. Where it, they're just kind of visual yeah. placeholders. Yeah. Pearl seems to come from a science point of view and a very logical point of view, which is backed up by what we see later yeah. on. Amethyst is completely apathetic, which yeah. is a perfect example of a character. Wagana is more kind of spiritual. Yeah, that's one thing that I was um, going to say. Like, the way that they summon their weapons says a lot about them as characters. Because, mm. like, Garnet is all about togetherness. Yeah. She's a fusion of her entire being yeah. is togetherness. So, um, so, yeah, I think <clears throat> this was something that struck me as we were talking now, and I didn't think about it while watching the episode. Uh, per- uh, Garnet does two approaches to talking about how to summon your weapon. One of her approaches is the one that you were talking about, about being one with nature and, Mm -hmm. you know, join with the universe and unity. But she also, Stephen initially asks, so I have to be careful and calculated and overthink, but I have to also not think at all. And Garnet says yes. And I think while on the surface, she's definitely talking about, you've got to find, like, you've got to have a bit of pearl and a bit of amethyst. I think that part of this is ruby and sapphire. Yeah, those are very much ruby. As soon as you were saying it, I was like, "Did you put it together at the same time?" Yeah, because (laughs) sapphire is very much calm, collected, reasoning, logical. Would think it through. Ruby would be very sort of just just do it and it'll happen. Yeah, and garnet is the combination of those two, and that that's why she's like, it's not from garnet's perspective. Obviously, those aren't impossible things to do both of at once because she's made up of two people that together she can summon her weapon while simultaneously being both those things. It also says a lot as well that Garnet is the only person who gets to say two things about the summoning of the weapons. Yeah, she she gets to have two separate perspectives. Yeah. Yeah, you can have these warring perspectives or you can be this as well. Yeah. It it does feel like even that early on they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, like I think if there are certain things that I'll bring up in a second that they clearly did not know they were going to do later in the show mm. but mm. Garnet they very clearly knew she's going to be a fusion of two characters that are going to be like this um, mm-hmm. so the thing I wanted to bring up where they clearly hadn't planned this far ahead in the show um, when per- when Stephen summons his shield in Gem Glow Pearl says oh, it's a shield it's a shield she yeah, doesn't say it's, it's Rose's shield. it's her shield it's Rose's shield yeah. it's, it's a shield like it definitely seems like the writers didn't yet know that they were going to quite characterise it as this is your mum's shield, this is the significance of your mum to Pearl, etc. Yeah. It, it's not a big oversight, but I've watched the first episode a few times since watching further ahead in the show, and it's one thing that does stand out to me. Of, yeah. You didn't quite know where you were going with that yet. Yeah. yeah, it's like that idea clearly wasn't fully formed at the time that yeah. this came. Which is fair. It's yeah. a, it's an ongoing long show, and I think the fact that that's the biggest inconsistency I've put, I've noticed in the show rewatching. Yeah, is you know it's not the end of the world. Um, but even the same as we had in that pilot, Stephen when he doesn't yet have abilities is over dramatic, but shows a lot of ingenuity um, in yeah. how he tackles problems. He is very creative about taking very human approaches to problem solving. That's what I was going to say. It, it kind of highlights that he is very different mm. to any of the gems because obviously he's something that nev- yeah. has never existed before. I, I, I kind of miss that going forward in the show that we yeah. don't get more of that th- at this point. That He's now essentially a member of the gems. He There's less relevance of his human human side to problem solving. Yeah. Um, well, like he, saw, he defeats the creature through the freezer. Yeah. Where he throws a freezer. Yeah. Well... 
in more the modern episodes, it always comes down to more a magical and a gem solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the mm. contrast between them and different problem solving has yeah. maybe well, gone away a little it's, bit. It's why I like the fact that as the show has gone on, in one of the very recent episodes, uh, whichever one had Stephen's uh, uncle show up uh, oh, in yeah. the plane, yeah. like Stephen has that conversation of, I don't get to see my human family. And I think some of that is, from a characterization point of view, him feeling left out that he has lost that, lost that part of himself, that he used to be much more of a human perspective and that he doesn't really have that in his life now and yeah yeah because when like on that episode the uncle then takes the role that Stephen kind of has at the beginning and that the Mm -hmm. uncle is the one surprised by how bizarre everything and how incredible everything is because at that point it's become very normalized yeah well like he he flies them out to Korea in in a (laughs) in a very recent episode because like oh the gems can't do their magic solution to get me there I guess I'll do the human solution if I know someone who has a plane um so the I think that's everything I wanted to say about that episode. Like, I do like the fact that Stephen definitely does care an awful lot. Like, you know, he's a bit overdramatic with his dramatic reading of Cookie Cat as he swings the thing. But, you know, he thought of a solution and he saved the day and he tried hard. And also, uh, there's a few points like that where he does ingenious human solutions to things in this first batch of five episodes. It made me really want a Harry Potter universe property where we see a muggle dealing with <laughs> um, magic solutions <laughs> by using human things. Like, I really like the idea of just being like, oh, I can't do this spell. Oh, well, just just use the internet or something. It's like, yeah. oh, you know, I, I want more it is, it is people nice... without powers doing solutions that people with powers would never think of. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice twist on kind of the magical show trope. Yeah, so I want to see more of that going forward. Did either of you have any more points on the first episode you wanted to bring up? No, I think that's everything for the first one. The thing I wanted to bring up is um, that even though he's not living with his dad and obviously his home situation's not a nuclear situation at all, um, it's still like a family because Garnet and Pearl are like his two mums. And then Amethyst is like an older sibling. Yeah, oh, definitely. I got that vibe as well. Amethyst is very much more of like big sister yeah, type Like role. even yeah. like she doesn't seem to care for Stephen's well-being as much as yeah. the others. Yeah. And she's a lot meaner at I, times. I, I, think, I think Pearl is the traditional sitcom archetype um, mother. <laughs> Garnet would be your traditional sitcom father. Yeah. Maybe. Calm, yeah. Restra- uh, like restrained never overly panics about things in that way. If you ever see them panic, it is a sign that something's gone very wrong. (laughs) Yeah, Garnet's more of the logical one, while Pearl's the emotional one. It's it's definitely a a typical nuclear family, complete with Big Sister. Um, (laughs) So, moving on to episode two. um, We have episode two, Laser Light Cannon, and this is the first time we really get to see a lot of the expanded cast. Um, So we get... Who who do we get in the expanded cast? We get the the owner of the fry shop. Yeah, I was impressed up. how many characters are just kind of there in the background. Like they yeah. haven't had their actual introduction or their moment yet, no. but they're already there. They're there, the and they very quickly like establish. You get a feel for that that sh- shop owner already. You know, yeah. they're very good at quickly dropping people in and being like, "There's an introduction. We'll get back to them." Yeah. and you can feel that they're not throwaway people. That they're going to yeah. be important. Yeah. Um, so. I have a question about the Red Eye ship. Mm. Do we think that that is the same sort of thing as what eventually comes to Earth uh, with the Ruby ship? Because they talk about a Red Eye and it is a big spherical looking ship that Possibly, is red. Like it... 
My first thought is like, is this some kind of like like a ruby ship or something it similar? Does seem more significant and powerful than kind of just one of the random enemies. Yeah, I never really thought about it at the time, but looking back now, it's like any time homeworld gems come to Earth, it is a big deal. Also, are we to assume that there were gems in that ship? Yeah, like did they kill people with the? Gun? Yeah, like it. It looked like it had like the eye bit you would think is like a viewing window. Yeah. I do have my question of like, did they shoot down a bunch of gems? It's like I Stephen clearly so. didn't like. If they did, they clearly didn't make that clear to Stephen. Well, that's one thing that I because Stephen yeah. would have been very much like, can we well, try <laughs> talking to them? Let them come down. We'll yeah. talk to them. Like. When the cannon fires, that is a really ridiculously powerful cannon. Like, yeah. everyone gets blown back. There's a huge explosion. Like, it makes me think about what's the history behind that weapon? Like, mm. why did Rose have this cannon? Yes. I've got some things to say about that I, cannon. Okay. I have some things as well. We'll get there. But, uh, like, <laughs> one thing I want to bring up about the eye while it's in my head and I remember yeah. it um, it's another body part. Like, the ships yes. that come oh, later, but hands, hands and arms. Yeah. yeah, we've had hands, we've had eyes. I don't know if we've had more than that, but... Well, it, when it's the um, two ships around the diamond ship... They're both oh, hands, They're, yeah. like, hands and arms. Yeah. Because it, it's, like, to the elbow, like, elbow down. I think we're eventually going to get a torso somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But, like, uh... it seems to be a variety of body parts, which is really yeah, cool. Yeah, like, does, can each faction fit together into a giant gem mech? Oh, that would be so it, awesome. It would be cool. So yeah, like my, my thought on this is, you know how we were talking about the fact that the gems don't trust Stephen with information and they don't trust him to be a part of decision-making yeah. processes? This is my thought about the ruby ship is let's say it is piloted and that there are gems on there. They have very deliberately, if that's the case, they very deliberately misled Stephen with the, oh, it's a giant ship. It's just going to crash into the earth. It's going to damage us. We need to shoot it down. Like, you know. Yeah. Because he wouldn't very, have done it. Yeah, he wouldn't have done it if he'd known there were gems on there. And considering like the design and the window at the front, I am pretty certain there were gems on there. I wouldn't be surprised to see them return to it. Like they yeah. have jumped all the way back to episodes, like really far ahead before. It it does interest me, and I feel like even though it's not explicitly said and it's not canon, my view of that episode is it might be the first significant time we see the gems mislead Stephen. Yeah. Because they don't trust him, even though he probably has a valuable insight on that scenario. Yeah, I agree. I think that's I think they don't trust him to make the decision that they want him to make. Yes. They, is they, the issue. They, they, if he disagrees, they assume that he's wrong. It's yeah. the whole kind of like, you know, parents know best. Yeah. Um. So other things we get there when talking about... Um, Rose not being there to fire the cannons the first time the cannons brought up. Pearl is the one who is very much, well, she she's she's not here, and you can see sadness on her face. Like very yeah. early on, it's Pearl is very sad, like sadder than anyone else in this scenario about the lack of Rose being yeah. there. Again, they seem to already be kind mm-hmm. of planting yeah. the seeds, which makes it all the weirder that in episode one she doesn't clock the significance of it being Rose's shield. Yeah. I don't know. Again, like, I think it's just a retcon thing. Like, I think the shield in episode one was probably meant to more be a personification of Stephen's personality. Yeah, and then they later decided, oh, maybe this was also hers as well. Let's let's do that. I just thought one thing about the shield as well. Um, With Stephen, his whole focus kind of being love and compassion. Mm. He's 
fighting style even reflects that because he doesn't really do the fighting he does defending exactly like, yeah he does the bubble he grows things like yeah he's, he's all about compassion and kind of well, looking after things um, rather than destroying i i have seen the argument made that garnet's fists are about um like very viciously keeping people away and not like keeping them at an arm's length because a yeah. fist is like directly an arm's length weapon um I've not seen a good explanation for pearls. The the silly explanation I've seen for Amethyst is that she has a whip because she latches onto things. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I, I can see that as a personification. Um, you know who gets really nicely personified and characterised in this first episode? Greg. Mm, we I... get... I oh, are you going to disagree? <laughs> well, I thought that Greg came across as more of a deadbeat in this mm. episode than he does later on. I... I, I... I think that it sets up an important status for him as as a deadbeat, but it also so like his his. I'll go through my spiel yeah, sure. quickly of like <laughs> this is what I gleaned from him from episode one. Greg is a lovable mess. He is sleeping in his van. He sleeps all day. He doesn't really have anything going on in his life. His life revolved around like at, at the very least, his life revolves around his kid and his love for his kid. But his kid's not living with him because his kid is living with the gems. So he's kind of not doing anything with his life until his son turns up and it's like, oh, oh, okay, is it time for me to do the human parenting? Um, he is not a fan of magic. He is a bit afraid of the whole magic thing. He was a failed musician that was clearly very passionate about what he did. Um, he met Stephen's mother through a gig and he has a very optimistic look uh, outlook on life with his port job. Uh, if every port shop was perfect thing, like I feel like that is a decent amount of characterization to get out of him yeah. in, in one episode. It's like he's he's deadbeat dad, but he's lovable, hardworking, aspirational, optimistic deadbeat dad. I kind of agree. I do agree with some of what you're saying, mm. but. My takeaway from it is that Stephen sees him as kind of almost a role model and a really likable kind of dad and like, oh yeah, you can always depend on him. But I saw him more of kind of, like when Stephen goes to find him and knocks on the van, Greg comes out and he's kind of expecting that someone might be trying to rob the van. He's mm. not like expecting Stephen to have come visit. They mentioned that it's sunset and he slept through literally the entire day. Yeah. Well, seemingly got nothing I, going on. I like that, considering that, like, I, I, I like the fact that he's portrayed as a re- as as lovable but useless to a proper degree. Because when we get into like a bit later in in season one, and we get the episode where he lies to Stephen about the injury, yeah. I feel like that would have come a lot more out of nowhere had we not had it hammered home very hard at the start. That he is a deadbeat that doesn't really do anything with his life. And mm. I think, like, that whole him being a deadbeat, like, particularly the whole he slept through an entire day without realising it, really lends a lot of strength to when Greg lies about his injury to spend more time with his son. Yeah. Because he really has nothing going on in his life. Yeah. He, he is, his life is just sleeping around, waiting for the next time that he will see his son. And... I think that makes a really good argument for... Because I've seen people argue that that episode where Greg lies to his son to spend more time with him comes out of nowhere. I think episode two does a really good job of being like, oh, I can see how little you've got going on in your life and why you would feel badly enough to do something like that. Again, feel free to disagree. I I like it for that reason. (laughs) I'm curious what you think, Retta, like... 
where do you stand? Like, like later on, I think Greg does come across as a very kind of endearing and likable character and someone that does care about Stephen. There's the line at one point about where, um, I think it's the Lapis episode, where he says, if this is what you're doing with the gems, I don't think I want you to do this yeah. anymore. Um, which I think shows that he does really care about him. But I think it might be something along the lines of depression. Oh, oh definitely. Okay. He sleeps the whole day and wakes up at sunset. He's not doing anything and he's probably lonely, like he doesn't yeah. have Rose and the only person he has that he's close to, because obviously we know he's got a brother that he's not close to, mm. but the only person he is close to is Stephen, so he'll just wait for his time to see Stephen. That's, I had not thought And that, I think that's why his character it's... develops, because as he's feeling better, he will be a better dad, because he'll mm. have more energy to like do things. I, and I do really like that as an explanation. I think that, because like... Knowing what we know about Greg now, he he had aspirations of being a musician, which he threw away for romance. He sort of dropped his, his dreams, and yeah. particularly once he had a child, he was like, right, I'm putting aside the music thing. Uh, like, like a Comet is a great example of, like, he clearly thought he could make his dream happen, yeah. and then put it aside. Like, he put it aside because he had, he had someone he loved who was then gone. He had a kid who's now gone. He had his dream, which he now can't get back to. Yeah. I can totally see how this could be just a good personification of someone who kept having the things that meant the most to him leave his life and him not wanting to try and start again yeah. and to try and yeah. ma- make something new because that's just going to go away anyway. Why would I bother? Yeah. On that note, I did find it interesting that when they're in the van and they put his CD on, he mm. seems very embarrassed by his music. Yeah, he does. He gets yeah. a little red blush on his Which is a huge cheeks. contrast to when we actually see him singing that song. He's kind of full of confidence. Yeah. It's it's this embarrassing footnote in his life and that he doesn't seem to still remember the, the, the true, real passion he had for it at the time. One thing I really liked about when that song's playing is Stephen clearly thinks very differently because he's bobbing along like yeah. he's, he's clearly he's singing along he's clearly listened to this before he clearly thinks the world of his dad thinks that his dad was the coolest person alive when he was doing this yeah that's I think yeah. there's like an intentional juxtaposition between the person who Greg is and the person that Stephen sees Greg as well even then just like between the way that Stephen sees Greg and the way that Greg sees his own past yeah, self even because that, yeah. like. Stephen sees Greg the way that... A lot closer to the way that Greg was, as someone that was passionate and put a lot of um, heart and soul into something. And Stephen can see that and feel that, whereas Greg is like, oh, no, it didn't work out. It's a silly silly thing I did. That could also be one of the reasons why he's embarrassed about Stephen liking it so much, because he might even have a bit of self-hatred for... Being like, I had this and I don't have this now. Yeah, like it didn't go anywhere. Like, you don't want to focus on when things were amazing if you don't feel like they are now. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, a couple of other things I wanted to point out on this episode. Um, Once they get the cannon there and Stephen can't activate it, I think it's the first real example we get of Stephen living in Rose's shadow. Of everyone expects Stephen to be able to do this because Rose could do it. And it's the, your mum could do it, why can't you? And his sort of, the guilt he feels over, I can't do what's expected of me, becomes a big part of his character as it goes on. There's one thing that he's shouting at the cannon, but it's also very much about himself. Mm -hmm. He says, everyone is counting on you, you can't be useless, I know you can do better. Yeah. And he shouts that at the cannon, and knowing Stephen and knowing that he's 
like he's constantly being told you can't do that because you don't have your powers. Yeah. So he will feel powerless and useless. Exactly. So he's just shouting how he feels at this cannon because it's not working. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So. Do they give a? I I kind of missed this. Do they give any explanation as to how the cannon starts working? Because Stephen says if every hot dog were perfect we wouldn't have hot dogs and the cannon starts working. Now, my question is, is that him having some moment of sincerity and connection with someone and that's what does it? Is the is that maybe it's the password? The because yeah. when he said that outside, when he was in the storage unit, that's when it glowed and that's when okay. Stephen discovered so it. So are we to assume that Rose set that as the password for it because yeah. it was something significant to her that she would remember? Yeah. That's, that's really sweet. That's because I don't know if she's created it while she was with Greg, and she's kind of like that. That would imply that the light cannon was still in active use after the end of the Gem War. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't take it as that, but I find that very interesting. I took it just to be an emotional thing. Mm. Going by the earlier episode with. Um, Stephen's powers kind of activating from emotions. Yeah, I was seeing that as the moment where he kind of feels that sense of love. This, this is this is that's yeah. what kind of triggers that's, it. That's that's what I was suggesting with that first suggestion. But I could totally see that being a specific passphrase. And if mm. that is the case, like it would be interesting to think about what would it mean if those cannons were still in use after the Gem War on yeah. Earth ended. But. Uh, the thing I wanted to say about the, the, the canon, and I suspect this is something you... When you were very like, oh, I've got a thing to say about the canon mm. being fired, it not only does it fire Rose, it fires what appears to be seven other beams of light. Yes. And my question is, are those the lions? Yeah, that's what is I Is it Rose and the well. lions? I did not pick up on that, but that no, makes a lot of sense. I, my suspicion is that the seven other things being shot are her lions. It's either that or it's going to be like... I don't know, because obviously, like, we know that she can grow people to fight with her mm. and things. Like, it's clearly her and some sort of, like, sidekick yeah. she's, minions. She's, she's definitely feels most at home with her army of seven followers. Yeah. It could also be the Crystal Gems, and there could be others that aren't part of them anymore. Indeed. Like, obviously, we know about... Bismuth Yeah, now. we know Bismuth, uh, Bismuth we know, was there. We know they're more than just Yeah, so it could, like, if it was created during the time when there were more of them, it could be her and the people yeah. she fought alongside. I, I still have the thought of, like, I've I've not really talked about this anywhere, but I like the thought that the, li- the lions or those beams of light mm. are meant to be her fallen, her fallen comrades that fell with her in battle. And that they were, like, the lions were her way of, like, feeling like she still had those people with her. No. Um, but then you get into whole debates of what does that mean about the rose, the pink lion. And my explanation there was still that I think it's going to turn out that some part of Rose is in that lion. And I think so. It's yeah. going to be, like, when Rose passed, like, part of her ended up... The personality doesn't fit with the lion. It's clearly not... She's not consciously there, but... Yeah. Mm. I mean, we're getting to, like, future episodes, but, like, we are over 100 episodes, and, like, what lion is is one of these ongoing mysteries that I'm really interested to see. I I thought that's... When they did the recent Stephen Bomb where they had, like, the pink um, pod, and they were like, the answers will finally happen... 
I did think, like, my first thought was, are we going to get some stuff about what's going on with Lion? That's what I thought, yeah, at least um, with Raj. And I think that's going to be, like, if the show ever starts waning in popularity with its audience, that's going to be one of those big hooks of, let's get people back in with the answers to this. I do feel like it's something they're saving. Yeah, they're saving for if they ever need to get interest back up. Uh, do, do anyone? Do any of us have anything else on three? Um, this is just on the lion thing again. Something that just popped into my head. If she has like lions for every fallen person, like Bismuth was inside of lion. Like, is there other lions with other gems Possibly. encapsulated mm-hmm. inside? I do like that thought. Um, so yeah, that that is an interesting theory. We'll see if that ends up ever ends up happening. That I like would be the really cool. It would be. <laughs> uh, so next we've got episode three, cheeseburger backpack. Uh, Yay! So episode three does continue something that we saw in some of those previous episodes of Stephen playing up his ingenuity with human solutions yeah. to gem problems. Because uh, the whole thing with this episode is, I have a backpack for holding things. I have clothes that I can tie up and make into strings to jump across this gap. I've got a raft to get over the, the boat. So I've got <laughs> I've got Mr. Queasy that I can try and put on the thing. The pedestal. Like he, yeah. he knows he doesn't have powers, but he feels like if I try hard, if I can prepare Yeah, then maybe, maybe I, I can, I can overcome, overcome problems it. like they can. I yeah. agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh he he's definitely a super non serious kid that is like I think the gems are totally justified in not trusting and relying on him or trusting him here. It kind of sucks. And knowing where he ends up in the show, it sucks that they do it. But like, he is a child. He is excited about his cheeseburger backpack. He is shaking his silly, his cuddly stuffed toy. That is a person that gets dizzy and ill. He, he is a a goofy child. Am I right in thinking that, this is the episode which is referenced later on as being a test. That's what I've, yes. I've written fails. that down. But yeah. it's also then, is the entire time, is Pearl just pretending that she wasn't going to let him go? Or did they decide it was a test once I, they I, were already I think there? They dis- I got the impression they decided once they let him go, it's like, let's make this a test. Um, I don't think they intended to bring him, but it's like, he really wants to try, let's let him do it. And I think... A lot of their responses to his failure are really telling when you know that it's a test they were putting him through and yeah. that they knew it might fail. So we know from that future episode, it, it was a test that they were like, oh, it wasn't the end of the world if this tower fell. You know, yeah. we went in expecting it to fall. Yeah, um, Yeah, because doesn't she say like it was just a, an easy test? Yes. And he's like, it was easy! <laughs> Why? Yeah. But like, I, I think it's really interesting that Stephen's failure, I don't think, is for lack of ability or lack of... lack of competency. It's a stupid mistake, but he... his problem is, is that he's so, so eager to please. Yeah. He's so desperate to prove himself valuable. He's so desperate to do it right. That he forgets the one thing he's asked to do. Yeah. And it's a stupid mistake, but it's because he's trying to foresee, like, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? I don't want to be a liability. Yeah. I want to be of use. I want to bring value to this team. I thought that, like, he's actually yeah. kind of sad because he's trying so he is, hard. He is laser focused. That is why he yeah. fails. He fails because he is so laser focused on wanting to be as valuable as. Like, he's, he feels so bad about not being valuable that he really, really focuses 
everything on it. it it's tying back into the whole, like, he's, he's a kid and he doesn't want to let his parents down. Yeah, mm. exactly. And on that note, that reminds me, um, like, generally with Steven Universe, a set of episodes will have, like, a certain theme, and the theme of these first episodes seems to be not disappointing people around yeah, you. Yeah. That's what, like, the whole thing is about. It's, it's all, it's, I don't want to be a liability, I don't want pe- to not live up to what people that, expect that me to do. Expectations, yeah, yeah. is what yeah. I I like that that sticks with Stephen for the longest time. Like, going really far ahead, that's why when we have the Here Comes the Thought episode, it's why Stavoni falls apart. Yeah. It's because Stephen is too fixated on, I can't do it, I've let people down, I haven't been perfect, I haven't fixed every problem. It's his... It's his core issue as a character, is his inability to get over the fact that he cannot always do everything that he feels like he should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I think it's really interesting that every time he fails or he succeeds or he does anything, the gems are very, very positive. They are very much rewarding mm. him for every minor victory. They are you know, downplaying his losses. They are cheering him on, making him feel like he did a good job. And that definitely has a lot of light after what you said, Retta, about the fact that it was it was a test. They didn't want to knock his confidence. Because, yeah. like, at the end when they've, you know, the tower's fallen, everything's gone, it's going to be hours of paddling home. They're still like, no, cheese, a cheeseburger backpack, you know, cheer him yeah, on. Because, like, even when yeah. they get home, Pearl's... Like, it wasn't your fault, Stephen. It was already falling apart. Yes. Like, she's reassuring him, like, I know this mission didn't go the way that we planned it on going, but it wasn't your fault. Don't blame yourself. They downplay it possibly too much. They don't give him any reason to feel like, okay... Like, because what they probably realistically should have done is, like, you did a lot good... You there was a lot that like worked because of you. You had really interesting solutions to stuff. But let's be honest, you focused so hard on trying to please us that you forgot to do the one thing you were asked. Yeah, like that's something you can learn from if you internalize it and learn about it. And like that's a point where they could teach him a lesson by pointing out this is what you did. They gloss over it because they're like, oh no, he's just a kid. He wasn't ready. Rather yeah. than trusting him to be able to learn from constructive feedback. Yeah, like I don't think they trust him enough with anything like even being able to tell him he made a mistake it's like oh no it wasn't your fault like and it's like yeah but it kind of was his fault like if he'd have brought the thing that he was asked to bring none of it would have happened and it's not trusting him enough to be able to have like a rational emotional response and that's a reasonable reason to for like in the following episodes for them to not trust him yeah because they asked him to do one simple thing and he didn't do it it's a reasonable thing to say okay let's not trust him with important things in future i think the point is that around all that i was just thinking is that the gems are honestly not very good parents oh no no they're not they're total newbies though like there is a few episodes where they're kind of like we have no idea what we're doing yeah, I mean, it's something we've seen in like the, the latest episodes, even, and in the episodes coming up, um, where, is it with Connie's parents, I think? Yeah. yeah. And they kind of do the whole, like, oh, it's the parents meeting the parents, and they completely screw that up. Yeah. Like, I think that is a theme that's starting here, that yeah. the gems think they're doing what's best for Stephen, but not really doing what's best. No, yeah. it's, and it's, again, that whole issue of they can do the gem side, but they don't have the human side down. Yeah. Um, so, 
Another theme that definitely pops up a few times in this first batch of episodes that I really like is humans being the ones to never give up, even when a situation looks hopeless. Yeah. Um, you get it with um, with the Frybo episode when the kid stands in front of Frybo and is like, I can't fight this thing, but I'll still stand between it and my dad. You get it here with... It's like, we don't have the statue, we can't do this. And Stephen's like, right, I'm going to find a solution and try something. Yeah, it's very similar to um, with the cannon and Greg. Yeah. When the cannon won't start, Greg's like, it's fine, we'll find another solution. It's humans being like, let's be ingenious, let's find a way, let's not give up, we're going to fight. And I think that's definitely something that the gems do learn from humanity over time, is this steadfastness in the face of overwhelming odds. Yeah. Um, so, uh, when the tower is falling, and it's obvious that Stephen doesn't have the statue, there is a moment where Pearl fails to hide that she is genuinely upset by this, that the tower's going to fall and that she can't stop it, and that this piece of gem history is going to go away. And she quickly bottles that up and is like, no, it's okay, it's fine, it's good. But she does have her moment of weakness where she does show, like, this meant a lot to me, and it's falling apart, and I'm sad, even though I don't want Stephen to know. I can't hide that I'm sad yeah, about it's it. it's genuine disappointment. Basically. Yeah. And that definitely can't be helping Stephen with his guilt complex of I failed, because even if it was only brief, Stephen's probably clocked yeah, that and like, gone, I let them down. Yeah, he's not stupid. No. Like, he's goofy, but he's not stupid. And it's probably moments like that that have built Stephen to where he is when we start seeing the show of... I keep seeing those little looks of disappointment that you can't yeah. do yeah. the thing, which is really sad. Um, oh, one more thing about the the moon temple thing. Mm. With it being, like, all water, I, in my head, I just imagined, like, loads of lapis lazulis just kind of going it around. It seems very lapis-ish with it, all the well, kind of... Well, the gravity stuff as well. Obviously, lapis can fly. Yeah, and she... Um, uses kind of her terraforming powers yes, with as, water. As mentioned in that song that we had to listen to repeated times <laughs> to hear what lapises do. Um, in, what was it? What's the use in feeling? That's the one. Yeah. Yep. A lapis terraforms. It definitely, I, I definitely got the vibe that like air lapis was involved in creating yeah. that kind of Definitely. Like... That does interestingly suggest that a gem's powers and creations can persist beyond their death. Yeah, if, because if presumably so. you would assume that jet, that lapis is no longer there, but that her maybe that's what the statue was doing was keeping that power going. Possibly, yeah. that it was some kind of conduit for for what had been done. But I don't know. Did we have anything else we wanted to say on? There's a couple three? of things I wanted to mention on that. Yeah, go um, ahead. One thing that I picked up on is when Stephen tries to use the kind of plushy toy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember who either Pearl or Amethyst. So could that work? And Pearl and Amethyst both look to Garnet, as mm. if Garnet would know. Is that a reference to Future, future Vision? Vision. Yeah. Uh, I think it's I definitely a reference to Future Vision. Also, we did get a brief nod to Future Vision in the pilot, where she knowingly suggests, it'll be fine. Like, she has mm. her, like... Yeah. I don't know whether it was just meant to be her being calm and in control, or whether... It, like, there was some... I didn't write it down, but there was some line that felt like a nod to... Oh, she can see the future. Yeah. But, like, this was definitely a future yeah. vision. Yeah, not. I think along with her being a fusion, future vision was another thing that was obviously planned from the beginning. Yeah. One thing I want to mention about um, Stephen sacrificing his toy, mm. I think that's really important. He's so eager 
for them not to be disappointed in him that he sacrificed something that it's, he really liked. It's and the one non-practical one item that he decided to bring with him on the mission. Yeah. Like, everything else he brought had a practical purpose. This was his his safety object. He's like, I yeah. like this thing, I want this thing with me, and he tried to sacrifice it in the hopes that maybe he wouldn't let them down. Yeah. And that is really sad. Yeah, it shows that he's really, like, desperate. Yeah. It's like, oh, poor Stephen. On a completely um, unrelated note to that, I thought that this episode visually was all over the place. Mm. Like, the animation style is radically different from where we are now. There's a lot of, like, squash and stretch going on. Like, characters mm. are oh. really animated and exaggerated. Like, yeah. eyes, yeah, balls, and faces that. stretch. You get a bit of that in episode four as well. Like, with the when he's excitedly, like, showing off at, in the house at the beginning the together breakfast to Garnet and being like, yeah. ah. His face, like, does a weirdly deformed <laughs> yeah. pose that it sticks in. They definitely toned that down. I think... A lot of it is Steven's usually the one with the deforming in the animation yeah. style. And as his silliness is toned down in the show, they turn toned down. Yeah, because it's, it's the, not as necessary. <laughs> there is some with Pearl as well, when Pearl's kind of the kind of hysterical mother. The yeah. Of, Don't do that again. Or like, oh my God, like everything's going wrong. You do see her as well getting more um, I, exaggerated. I, I think the only character we've really had one of those exaggerated animation moments with in a long time was Yellow Diamond's introduction, where she does the, yeah. the, the terrified, <laughs> horror, disgust yeah. face. Which was so cl- well done that it became a meme instantly because everyone loves that face. Um, did you have anything else for three, Mia? The only other thing I wrote down was that I just thought that Amethyst was hilarious in crushing the egg into the fridge and then slamming the fridge door and then you just hear the egg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, nothing else to mention on that. I just thought that was a brilliant we, yeah, moment. Yeah, we, like, we, we fought a giant bird. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking this. Just throw everything out of the fridge. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's perfect kind of amethyst moment. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so episode four, Together Breakfast. Uh, Stephen, that breakfast he makes is very much a breakfast that a child that doesn't have adult responsibilities yeah. makes. It's, what are things that I like? I'll stick them all yeah. together. Just throw it all together. Like, I'm impressed that he made pancakes successfully. But it is just, here's some popcorn and some cream and a... Strawberry. And some chocolate sauce. Chocolate. Together breakfast. It's definitely a lot of enthusiasm and not a lot of... Well, it's... um, (laughs) It's it's him wanting to to show off and please the gems. He wants them to... Because it's just come off the back of him failing to to save the temple. It's like, I couldn't do that, but maybe I can make up for it by Mm. making breakfast. Well, it's also... uh, Together breakfast is definitely the right word because it's very thrown together is the way he's (laughs) kind of done it. Uh, this is the first time that we see the very obvious hints that everyone missed about Garnet being a fusion. Particularly yeah. blue and red, two separate gems that open up a combined colour door. They very, very clearly show up. Like, Garnet walks over, puts out her hands, blue and red, and, and the door two opens. separate lights on the door open. Yeah. One thing I noticed about all the gems at that point, because it shows, like, their gems, all of the mm. gems have a different, like, shape on the front. Mm. Like, Garnet's uh, triangle, I think, is sapphire, and the square that's ruby. Um, Stevens is a pentagon. Um, Pearls is obviously the circle, and Amethyst is a hexagon. They all have different cuts yeah. to their uh, gems. Yeah, none as well. of them are quite the same as the cuts on the actual gems themselves, but they're mm-hmm. all distinct on the door. And I don't know 
necessarily what the significance there was, but it is a good call. Yeah. It's another nice attention to detail. Like, it's basically blatantly pointing out there are five gems, and these are not just five lights. These are specifically two yeah. gem characters. Yes, and I really like later on when we start seeing more examples of that, of like, oh, other fusions get their own rooms and yeah. stuff, and, you know... The fact that there probably is a red room and a blue room, but we weren't seeing them because we were seeing the purple room. Yeah, the com- combination of the two. Yeah. Uh, so we kind of talked, touched on this already, but this is the first chance we get to see Pearl is the girl with all the swords, and Stephen is the shield. Mm-hmm. And the, like that nice flipping on that expected uh, mm-hmm. gender trope. I did think that, like the earlier episode when we had them describing how they form their weapons, the rooms are a good mm. example of being like, here are the personalities of the characters kind of in a room. They talk about Amethyst's room being full of a mess and Pearl's room has weapons and it's another kind of like mm-hmm. glimpse yeah. into these um, characters. The glimpse we get into Garner is that she is the one in control of all the dangerous stuff. Yeah. I find She's it like, right, let's... Let, oh, sorry, go on. No, it's fine. It, it's just, I find it really interesting that... Um, when Stephen goes into the room and kind of bumps into Pearl and bumps into Amethyst, they kind of like go along with it and it's just kind of like this little adventure. But then when they find Garnet, Pearl and Amethyst seem nervous about the fact that Garnet might find out that they're sneaking around the mm. room. Mm. I felt that that was a moment that kind of shows that even among the gems, they see Ghana as someone much more business-like and much well, more and much of, more powerful with much yeah, more dangerous she's like stuff the boss. going on. Yeah, she's intimidating. Yeah, it's kind gems. of like, oh, oh, we can mess around, but you can't tell the boss yeah, about like, it. Oh, don't want her to find out. Hmm. Uh, so again, this contains that whole thing of these early episodes being very much self-contained, silly plots. Um, the I have a question about the the scroll that um, ends up becoming the big cloud monster. Mm. Was there a gem trapped inside that scroll? Because, first of all, when Garnet starts burning the scroll, it screams. We've seen gems and their personalities trapped inside inanimate objects before. We had it with Lapis in in the mirror. It's interesting because if there is a gem in there, and that is meant to be a personality, is that akin to shattering a gem? Because it certainly seems yeah. like her intention is to destroy whatever's in this permanently. That was my takeaway from mm. it. Like, the gem or whatever that thing is gets thrown into the lava and is destroyed. It's not bubbled and started yeah. away. It seems like they were there to kill it. Hmm. Or, the, yeah, it... I don't know. Because the... Like, it's something that... Like, that's why you don't go in Garnet's room because she is doing stuff there that is not for Stephen's yeah. eyes. Like... It is, it is interesting because we know that the gems are certainly not opposed to the idea of trapping away a personality mm. within something inanimate and destroying it if needs be. I have something interesting and it's probably a wild theory, but um, I noticed with the rooms, they all seem to be like a body part. Um, and I was thinking, could it be the... Can, can you highlight in what way they're like a body part? Well, there's the crystal heart, okay, which yeah. is where Garnet is. But um, when I was thinking more about it, um, when Stephen's sliding down, he's going along a load of tubes that look kind of like intestines, and it's like he's going through the inside of a body. Yeah, I thought that and was okay. I thought, like, maybe Pearl's area being at the top would be, like, the eyes, head. like tears, 
I was, I was thinking the head because it's sort of like full yeah. hair, but she's definitely yeah. like the. the she's that's definitely the, head of the, at the machine, top, yeah. and I think that amethyst is the stomach because that's where everything goes to from the head. I was going to say, is she the butt? Yeah. That's where everything ends up. <laughs> no, but then Ghana is the heart of the gem, and I'm thinking, does do the different rooms all have different like body parts, and could it be? The, the statue that the house is built on is actually a crystal um, person. It's actually, like, alive. Yeah, it could actually be alive. I can, but like, I can certainly see that. Or at the very least, I could see it correlating to the physical layout of where the room's in, yeah. in, yeah. The, in the gem room is. Yeah, like, uh, I randomly thought it when I was watching the episode and I was like, I, I need to discuss point. It's a yes. thing I want to keep in mind when we watch later episodes about, like, Rose's room and... Yeah. Uh, like Sardonyx's room. I want to see if those those bits of theming continue. Yeah, that's mm. like I can't remember, but I really want to keep an eye out for it now. Uh, yeah. So can I just point out my favorite Garnet line from this entire episode? <laughs> oh no! It has all the powers of a breakfast. <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh too. <laughs> I knew you were going to mention that one. Like that. <laughs> it's it it is. It's a it's a wonderful comedic moment. <laughs> Because, like, I, I took a little bit of it as the gems don't interact with food or they don't need to. For Garnet, it could genuinely be, I don't know what powers a breakfast yes. has. This is an, a human element that has entered our scenario and I don't know how to deal with it. <laughs> it is second. It could, yeah. like, it could yeah. genuinely be that she's worried that it now has the powers of a breakfast. Seemingly. Uh, I, am, I was really surprised. I didn't even... Thinking back on the episode, I couldn't remember how it ended. I was sure it was going to end with Stephen eating it because that seems yeah. like such a solution to the, the, the monster is now food. We've played up Stephen is the chubby kid that likes food. Yeah. The solution to the problem would be Stephen eats the monster. They all <laughs> eat it together, together breakfast. I'm kind of glad they didn't. Yeah. I'm kind of glad that they went away from the expected yeah. solution. It seems to be that thing again of like it's got this goofy kind of human Stephen element on it, but this kind of this kind of darker tip of the iceberg kind of yeah. crystal gem stuff going on. Which we were saying like we don't know what this creature is, even though it's literally firing waffles <laughs> and it's kind of ridiculous yeah. and over the top. But at the same time, I would eat that monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I still think it's. I think it's really interesting that Stephen is instrumental in destroying something that clearly has sentience and probably yeah. was a gem. And it's probably the equivalent, like, at a guess, of shattering a gem fragment yeah. in, in his pushing that thing into the fire. Yeah. And that the gems have clearly not given him the information to understand what he's doing. Mm, because if he understood, he probably wouldn't have done that. Um, one thing as well, um, with the gems not understanding the human side of parenting. I think it's really highlighted in this episode because if um, if you look at it, Stephen's really desperate to get some love and affection from them. And like with Garnet, he's like, see, look at this, look at this. And she has no reaction and that's when his face does the deform yeah, thing. Because he's kind of, he's, you can see he's kind of like crushed that he's not getting the reaction he wants. And then even when Amethyst comes in, she's just really mean like she soaks him. He, he she doesn't and gets understand changed. the significance yeah. of sharing it. Yeah, like she just doesn't get it, and she's like, "I'm gonna eat the whole thing," and he's like, "No, that's that's not what I it. want." Yeah. yeah but, Stephen is craving kind of them all to come together and have this nice family breakfast. None of the gems really get that. Yeah. He's, he's craving human connection and human like reward 
mechanics that the gems don't see as significant because they're not something that they generally interact with. Yeah. Um, so do we have anything else on four before we move on? That was everything I wanted to talk about. Nope. That's it for me. Right, let's get on to the last one of today's batch, which is episode five, Frybo. Uh, so, again, Stephen being being a child, he completely blanks out during the boring long lecture that is definitely yeah. in no way tailored to him and his <laughs> attention span and his knowledge. And I was thinking that's probably why Pearl gets frustrated at Stephen so much, because her way of learning and her way of teaching just is not suited to Stephen, so whenever yeah. she talks, he's kind of switches off his brain. She, she does here try to give him the important information. Like, we do hear that she says, uh, the the fragments turned on their master, and keep the keep the fragments away from, uh, the, she doesn't say clothing, but... Garments, uh, I think it was. Garments, yes. Like, she doesn't tailor it for Stephen, but she does try to give him the information, which is more yeah. than, than they've done previously. Yeah. Like, she tries to help him not screw up. Uh, yeah. So, I have a question about gem fragments. And this is something that, like, never really gets discussed later on, but that we see here. Do shard fragments have a consciousness of their own? She said it was a semi-consciousness. That's what Pearl said. Well, she talked about... The, when all of the shards are together, it's a semi-consciousness. Mm. But each of these individual shards seems to be conscious. Yeah, like, I thought that, and that's one of the reasons I thought it was really weird when Stephen's pants got consciousness and he forced them on himself. I was like, <laughs> that seems a little bit weird. Yeah, it's because we do see little hints at that going forward, because when we see the cluster... The cluster is a, a collection of fragments, but each of them does still seem to have some degree of consciousness hmm. of its own, even as a fragment. Yeah. Which is interesting, because when Garnet first sees the fragment, she talks about there being no helping them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there is definitely still some consciousness there to some degree. Whether it ultimately is decided it's worth saving, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. It almost seemed... At most, it seems to be more like an animal. It understood mm. kind of basic commands. It it very much was very literal with its interpretation of things that were said to yeah. it. Yeah, so make I, people eat fries. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it what, what the, the gem shards did was take very literal responses to commands. Um, so the the command we had that starts off the whole thing is... Make everyone eat lots of fries. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely the first time this show has a really sort of kind of dark episode. Yeah, I remember watching oh. the first time we ever watched this. And I was like, whoa, that didn't it's, go where I thought it was going to go. It's the turning point where it's like, oh, this show has some legs for adults, I think. Yeah. Definitely. I'm surprised how far they push the interpretation of Frybo. They yeah. have veins. Yeah. Covered in the the red, which obviously is symbolic of blood, but mm-hmm. it's ketchup. At yeah. one point, there's kind of like mushed up fries coming out of his mouth, like yep. he's throwing up. They uh, really push they, the they, depiction of it. They do, and even before we get to that, like it's the first episode where we really get, I feel like, dialogue that is tailored to adults that children aren't necessarily going to have a reference point for. Yeah. In terms of the kid talking about um, talking about depression from a way that's probably most applicable to adults. Um, in his conversations about no longer finding love in the activities he used to enjoy is a yep. big one. He's like, 
oh yeah, this used to bring me joy, but now I feel nothing from it. His sort of discussions of why do you get a job because you spend your life doing that job to get money that you can't don't have time to use on anything for yourself because you're too busy doing the job. It's very, very adult conversations yeah. about... I think that's another yeah. part of the theme as well. Like, with the disappointment stuff, there's also the common theme of growing up too fast. Mm. Like, Stephen is a child, and a lot is on his shoulders to say how young he is. It and it's the same for the kid. Yeah, it definitely shows the contrast between the two of them. Mm. And that he's, he's saying that you get cash from a job, but cash can't buy back what you kind of... Lose from lose having the having job. job. While Stephen's just kind of like, yay, I'm on this kind of ride, it's really fun. It shows that there is a complete difference in I the think maturity it's the, of them. Even though they're both like, they're having to grow up too fast and they both don't want to be a disappointment, I think it's that Stephen is still very naive about it. Yeah, and he's he kind of sees the optimism and everything, and he's kind of like, it's fine, there'll be a way, I, everything I, will sort itself I, out. I think some of that is that he lives with the gems who shower him with that positive outlook, yeah. and that everything will be okay. Whereas the other kid, whose name I keep forgetting, I um, can't remember. Do you know? None of us can remember. <laughs> I'm we, bad with names. We all feel very bad now. Um, yeah, basically, we have yeah. a great Steven Universe podcast for getting the names <laughs> of the characters. That's fine. Um, <laughs> What I what I thought was interesting is that he definitely has more of a reference point for the realities of life in that he's seen his dad probably not, you know, hide quite as well the realities of what growing up is like. Yeah. He's got other adults in his life that are not living with him that are at more of a distance that he can look at and say, oh, that's what happened to you and that's what happened to you he's probably got a broader world view which probably affects his having a more realistic view of yeah. what life does to adults well, yeah because Stephen says that like his his payment for his job is the smiles of the people around the yeah, camp yeah it's probably also because Stephen's in a very comfortable position yeah he's he doesn't he's have housed to think about and he doesn't money. have to worry about yeah. money what the hell do the gems do for money uh, it's it's earlier put that um, Greg's car wash entirely pays for their cost of living for keeping Stephen going. Okay. Uh, basically, the whole idea is that's why he lives in his van, is he can do that rent-free. Why doesn't he live with Stephen? That's something um, that I've never been able to figure out. Because he doesn't want... To, uh, the, the explanation I've seen is that he has been told not to get involved in the, in the magic stuff, that it's dangerous and that he shouldn't mess with it and he should stay away from it. Uh, that part of it is to do with not wanting to get in the way of Stephen's gem training because he's supposed to train up to be a gem and that's what he's supposed to do and just that he feels like it's not his place. Yeah. That he his place is his role is to do what he can to support Stephen while not getting in the way of him becoming this magical warrior that he's meant to be. Yeah, I think one of the main problems I think that Stephen experiences is that there is not enough cohesion between the parenting of the gems and greg yeah because it's very very separate like they don't talk to each other about right is is he's still a kid he can't deal with this this is what human children are like because like yeah. obviously what we learn through the um kindergarten and stuff is that the gems come out fully grown like yeah. they they never have childhood and adolescence or anything like that so well, we see it with rose and the baby being like oh the baby wanted to climb the ferris wheel so i left it <laughs> yeah yeah and it, it's 
like they they have no reference for each other, but they don't yeah communicate with each other either. I I think that Stephen would have been a much more rounded child had he grown up with both sets of parents. But I can understand how it ended up with the gems being like, okay, this is a gem that we need to raise up to be like a replacement for Rose. Yeah. Um, Greg being too terrified of all the magic stuff and knows if I was around, I would not let Stephen do half the stuff he needs to do because I'd be yeah. too overprotective. But I do like the whole thing that, like, that's why he lives in his van is because he's financially supporting them really keeping cute. Stephen going, which is really sad. But it's it's why it's really nice when Greg does win the lottery later on in mm-hmm. that he no longer needs to worry about that because all he wants to do with it, it that money is make sure Stephen is fine. Yeah, like, immediately he spends all of his time with Stephen when he has money and he has the funds to be able to do what he wants. He doesn't have to work all day at the car wash trying to, you know, support Stephen's upkeep. And then he he uses it whenever they need help. Like, when they need a boat, he buys it. Yeah. He's... he's, It's nice to see, like, that episode they have where it is just about, like, ah, we tried frivolously spending money. It's not for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah... The whole the whole visual stuff once Fribo is introduced is dark as hell. Yeah. It is it is very scarily put together. It's like, mm-hmm. oh that's creepy and I'm ooh. genuinely surprised they got away with it. It's a big departure from the earlier episodes. Yeah. Well we, we when Pearl turns back up and asks like, Did you put the, the thing in Frybo? Um It's like, didn't you hear me talking about the living armour and inventory and many, many deaths? Like <laughs> That's the first time we really get a picture of like, oh, the wall was like this. That thing that's currently looking quite genuinely terrifying. Imagine an army of those. Yeah. That's 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 what the gem wall was like. There was an army of things that would just remorselessly do what they were told. Mm. And that's kind of terrifying. Yeah. And with them only being like semi-conscious, as Pearl put it as well, it's, uh, like, it's concerning because it's kind of like, do they, they like... Presumably they don't feel any pain or anything, so if they if you had an army of them facing you, mm. the like, only way to stop them from being able to do anything is to get the shard out. Yeah. And if they're wearing armour, that'd be hell. That's a pretty like, brutal war. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did have a couple of like I did have one quibble about something in this episode that I think I brought up to both of you when it happened, which is Thank goodness that the episode writers chose not to have there be any consequences to this, but considering that Stephen has just seen, like, oh, if you carelessly tell a direct command to these shards, they will follow it, and you have to be really specific to make sure that nothing goes wrong. The shards he puts into all of his clothes, he just shouts, attack. Doesn't say, attack attack Frivo and then stop when you're done. Yeah. He does... (laughs) He clearly didn't learn from his mistake, and it's lucky that it didn't get out of hand yeah. again. Yeah, I remember thinking the same thing. It's like, you've just seen that that went horribly wrong. You should really put more yeah, thought I into it. It's another sign that he's not really thinking too much yeah. of what he's doing. He's definitely just kind of like, just seat of his pants. Yeah. Well, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, it also says a lot about being um, childlike and doing anything he can to kind yeah. of help as well, because... He literally got naked and used all yeah, of like, his clothes. Here's an idea. I'll try this. Yeah. Um, I did. In terms of like some of the stuff we've talked about about more traditionally feminine ways of presenting mm. Stephen, there's a really nice bit in here where towards the end of the episode we get his sort of smile of pride, which is 
not for last, just it's presented with traditionally feminine attributes, like the the, the, the way the big eyelashes, yeah, the big eyelashes well. and the blushing, yeah, and you get more of that definitely as the show goes on. But it's just this like, oh, that's tra- traditionally how you code feminine characters, but yeah. that's how you coded Stephen, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's also like with um, Stephen, like it's it's in a later episode, but the Beach Palooza, yeah, where, where he he comes on stage as a feminine. Like femininely dressed in high heels, a skirt, and sings this and song, and no one says yeah. a thing. Everyone's yeah, just like, "Ooh, this is cool." And yeah, like, that's the really important thing of that episode. I think is that nobody points out the fact that he's wearing a no. skirt as being yeah. not they, worthy. They point out explicitly what they're pointing out is that it's really it like it's a very Stephen thing to do to like be a surprise final yeah. act for a show. But I think a lot of the subtext there is also. That's a very Stephen thing to do to come out dressed like that. It's fine. It's just what Stephen does. Yeah. Yeah. And that, the fact that there's no moment of shock. It's just oh, that's that's Stephen. Stephen's great. We love Stephen. Yeah. Is nice. And like this is where you first start seeing those seeds of it of the mm-hmm. Stephen is presented femininely, and that's not a laughing point. Yeah. It's just it's just who Stephen is. Yeah. And that's really nice. So yeah, have we got anything else to say on five, or is that our? I think that's it. <laughs> well, I said yeah. So that we ran on a little bit. I think like the fact that we did six episodes, certain uh, six episodes today, because we did the pilot as well, certainly yeah. does on length. But uh, yeah, definitely let us know what you what you think. Hopefully you've enjoyed this. Now, hopefully there will be a Twitter account for this uh, podcast. But here's the thing. I've just realised at the end of the show that haven't actually set one up yet. So, for now, follow all of us on Twitter while we get this uh, all set up and whatnot. So, self-promotion. Mia, where are you on the internet? You can find me at God. It's like, oh my god, but Mia instead of my. Really easy to remember. That was me on Twitter. I also have Mia Violet, uh, my website. And you can find me at Supareta, which is S-U-P-A-R... R-A-Y-T-A-R, just because I like being confusing. Super Radar. Yeah, Super uh, Radar. Also, do you want to pay your Patreon? Because you have one of those. Oh, that's true. I have a Patreon. So if you want to help me stay alive, that's just patreon.com forward slash Mia Violet. Hooray. Uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere at Laura K Buzz. Laura K Buzz on YouTube. You're K- Laura K Buzz on Twitter. Laura K Buzz on Patreon. That's what pays the bills for me. Uh, other than that, just, you know, Laura K Buzz. Nice and easy to find. Uh if and when there is a Twitter account set up specifically for this podcast, we will uh, let you know. <laughs> By the time you listen to this, this will probably be on iTunes and whatnot and things as well. So, uh, hooray! Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Crystal Clodcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Bye! Bye! <laughs>